You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Another edition of the Bird Calls. I am David Grubb. Um, I'm also joined by contributors to, to thebirdrights.com, Kevin Barrios and David Fisher, and of course our editor in chief, Mr. Ali Cosell. Gentlemen, it's good to be back with you. These are exciting times for our New Orleans Pelicans, and um, where we left off the last time we left our listeners, we were t- right before the trade deadline. It has come and gone, and nothing happened. Uh, we didn't really expect much to go on. Were there any surprises? Did you were did you was there something that you thought maybe the Pelicans would have at least have done that they did not? I know Fish, you you were there was one move in particular you were hoping for. The one move I in particular I thought was going to happen was moving Darius Miller, just because with how his contract is structured, the Pelicans could trade him this year as an expiring contract. Um, but they can't trade him this summer as an expiring contract until for next season. Now there might be some value in that in keeping him on the books for another season because this free agent class isn't very good. And next year's free agent class is the Pelicans do have a lot of depth right now, but they're pretty much punting on one roster spot for, a season and then possibly some of next season. So I was surprised, mildly surprised. I wasn't like shocked, but I was mildly surprised that they didn't make that move. Um, and then with the excess draft draft capital and this kind of feeling like it's a weak draft. Um, but like it didn't break my heart. I was just mildly disappointed that that didn't happen. Yeah. I don't think there were any major surprises. So um no news was good news as far as the trade de- deadline went for the Pelicans. Nobody left, most importantly. That was a key member of the rotation. And so uh, here we are with a three-game winning streak for the Pelicans. Uh, they have the opportunity to extend that to four tomorrow night against the Oklahoma City – well, Thursday night, just to make sure, depending on when you're listening, against the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, a team that they have struggled against this season. Uh, they've got the great game ground on Memphis. They still sit four and a half games out of eight, even though they have moved into a tie for 10th place in the West. Uh, Fish, to go right back to you really quickly. Talk about the Pelicans' strength of schedule as they go into um, the All-Star break and then make, hopefully, a push to try to um, reach that eighth seed. Well, looking at their schedule, how, how it's been so far, um, and the, in terms of strength of schedule, um, up to this point, the thing that I usually use is basketball reference. And the Pelicans have had the most difficult schedule up to this point by quite some distance from, from the rest of the league. Um, and um, going to t- Tankathon kind of lays out the schedule going forward, and they use a simpler method, which is just the win-loss record of all of your opponents. The Pelicans have the easiest schedule in the league, um, for the remainder of the season, whereas the the team currently in eighth, Memphis, that they're chasing, um, has the most difficult schedule in the league. And their schedule only slates to get more difficult. I have their schedule up, and about March, about mid-March, 
the Pelicans finished the season. They have 15 games, and of those 15 games, the only opponents that they face that are above 500 are the Memphis Grizzlies twice, and the Pelicans are already 2-0 against them, and the Philadelphia 76ers um, almost at the very end of the season, and that game's at home. You look at that same kind of stretch for the Memphis Grizzlies, and this is what it looks like. The Utah Jazz the San Antonio Spurs, both on the road, Oklahoma City Thunder, at the Milwaukee Bucks, the Pelicans twice, the Boston Celtics, the Toronto Raptors twice. Then they get one opponent that's under 500, the New York Knicks. Then they play the Mavericks, again at the Blazers, at the Nuggets, Oklahoma City, Philadelphia, and then at the Houston Rockets. In their last 15 games, they only face three opponents that are under 500. And well, I I didn't count Portland, so four. But of those four, two of them are the Pelicans, who have completely owned them so far this season. So they don't have like easy games at the end of the season. Whereas not only do the Pelicans have easy games, they have easy games against teams that are clearly going to be out of the playoff race at a time where usually most of those teams start to rest vets and they're going to play young guys and stuff like that. So the schedule, I feel like the schedule when you're looking at what Tankathon says under downplays, how difficult Memphis's schedule is because there's a lot of teams that are bunched up in their schedule that are going to be fighting and battling for playoff position where they're going to be trying to win every single game. Whereas the Pelicans are going to be playing a whole bunch of opponents that have already punted on the season. And they're worried about the draft. They're worried about getting young guys, just, you know, their NBA feet wet. They might be going through 10, 10 day contracts, situations like that. So the, the schedule lays out very well for the Pelicans. And I feel like, the Pelicans, looking at the schedule and how many games they have, I feel like the Pelicans can legitimately reach 500 on the season. They can get to 41 wins. It's there. They need to go 18 and 10 for the rest of the season. They're 17 and 9 um, since December 18th. 18 and 10 with their schedule is within the realm. So, yeah, I would. Go ahead. Yeah, oh, I absolutely agree with you. Like uh, you said, the Pelicans have played already have played 19 games uh, against that group of teams that are in the playoffs currently. They only have nine games left against those. And of those 28 games, 20 of them are against teams that are 500 or less. So like you said, it's just, it's a schedule that is heavily in their favor. And the, the best thing about the Pelicans, I think going forward is that they have beaten the teams that they should beat this season. That group that you talked about, the ones that will, their seasons are almost over already. They're eight and two against that group this season. The teams that they're fighting uh, for playoff uh, uh, seeding with the Memphis Phoenix, Portland, San Antonio quartet, and Phoenix is certainly falling out of that group quickly. They're six and two against that group. So yeah, they've had great success against the teams they're supposed to beat, and they're healthier and better now than they were in most cases against those teams. And then that that group of teams that are difficult. It's only nine games, and the majority of those are at home. So, yeah, it, 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 you have to feel really comfortable about the Pelicans' position right now. Kevin, the other element of that is just how good this team is right now. You put in the way that they've played over these last 
nine games in particular since Zion has rejoined the lineup. What do you see that's different in how they're playing with each other and just how other teams are now trying to deal with them? Yeah, I mean, um, before I start on that, I just like to say, I mean, I have the Portland and Memphis game on in the background here, and I don't have the sound on, so I don't know the severity or any details, but I did see uh, Damian Lillard looked like he tweaked his groin and left the court, and he hasn't been back in, so he may miss a few games, which also helps the Pelicans in in that that sense. Um, I don't think it's going to be anything serious, but he might miss a few games. Um but back to what you're saying, I mean, basically, uh, we're, you know, this team is a freebasing Zion now, you know, it's like this whole, this whole new energy has been like injected into the team, you know, early on in the season, we saw JJ and Etwan look kind of miserable. You saw Alonzo being tentative. You saw Melly being um, tentative. And now everybody's playing with a lot more energy, the balls bouncy the ball's bouncing our way. I mean, you remember that position, that possession last night um, where the ball was bouncing all over the place, uh, like sort of errant tip passes, but the ball kept finding a Pelican and making its way around until they got an open three. They missed that one, got the rebound, and then still got a three out of that possession. Um, things like that weren't happening for the Pelicans. You know, they weren't playing with that energy, that confidence, that swagger. But now they have that. I feel like with Zion in the fold, they feel like they can beat anybody and they're playing that way. Everybody's engaged. Everybody seems happy. Chemistry seems seems well. They're playing with a lot of spring. Um, and just the strength and just the gravity that, that Zion brings on that court um, is just trickling down through the whole team, and you see it. I mean, it's, it's a whole different animal that we're watching than what we saw during that 13-game losing streak and, um, you know, other – early dead dead spots in the in the um in the schedule where we're just kind of miserable watching this team uh try to figure things out but now it's all clicking and you know you got to feel excited and happy about the future even if it doesn't mean a playoff berth um it's just a great stepping stone for next season in the off season um ollie you know kevin brought in uh the subject of zion's gravity and the way defenses respond to him uh, you know, you've seen it up close. You've been watching him. And I, I know fans see the, the, the highlights and they see um, the, the big plays. But talk, uh, talk about just the subtlety of Zion's game. It's that, that they're the, the little impacts that he has on the game that don't rely on his strength, on his speed, on his athleticism. Well, he's still learning, obviously. But, for instance, one of those things is his passing, right? He had a beautiful little bounce pass. That wasn't um, – it was within close proximity to a cutting melee to the basket as to where he was staying on three-point line. He threaded the needle perfectly, made it a catchable pass. Usually that's tough to do, right? Bounce passing in that kind of close proximity, especially when you're throwing it downwards with one hand, as Zion did, and he laid it in perfectly. So at, with, with almost anything he does, you see either the athleticism uh, or that touch that I feel like definitely doesn't get talked about enough. And, you know, I don't think there's a better example of that touch than in his free throw shooting of late. You know, he started the season, I think, what was it, through the first three, maybe four games where he made like six or 16. But since that time, he's shooting about 75% from the line. So everybody thought that maybe, hey, we could play hack to Zion. Well, that, that's really been tossed, you know, in the trash because he, in the last game, I think he made 11 of 14. He's just looked really good. So 
with all those weaknesses that he, of course, entered the NBA with, and of course, you know, with no training camp, and basically this is still really his preseason, or he's just now coming out of it, I guess, after nine games. He has made noticeable improvements on the court, and that's been really impressive. And my favorite, and I, I told you guys this earlier, was um, you see him figuring out how to get through either an opponent or figure out a way to uh, basically be effective. And what I'm talking about is against the Bucks, he really struggled on going up against their length inside the, the paint. And so I, I felt like in the fourth quarter, he had figured some things out to where he had basically single-handedly and I was sitting with uh, David at the time uh, in Kevin's seats. Thank you, Kevin. That uh, uh, Zion basically brought the Pelicans back from like around 14, 15 points to seven simply because he had figured out a way to either get to the free throw line or score up and over some of that length of the Bucks. And I felt like we saw that again last night against Portland where Hassan Whiteside, I think, deterred Zion's first two, maybe three shots of the game. But after that, Zion just ate him alive. Like I said, this guy is showing an intelligence on the court that all the greats have seemingly always had, like the LeBron James, the Michael Jordans, that can think the game. And Zion, who is, like I said, a baby, really. I mean, nine games and he's a baby. But to see that he has that ability to be able to make those adjustments, that's impressive. But real quick, I know that we needed to also bring up the point that Ben wrote a great article about why Zion is looking like a superstar. What's basically fueling, right, this hype. And it's the fact that he is unstoppable around the rim. He is not taking any more shots away from the rim. If you go past those first three games, he has not taken a single shot from even um, in the paint outside of the restricted area. No mid-range shots, nothing. And so why should he? Because like I said, he is being incredibly efficient around the rim. And according to Ben's piece, we have never seen this before. I want to say, I, I don't quote me on it because I don't have the article in front of me, but it's something to the tune of around 19 shots he's getting up. I don't know if that's per 36 minutes around the rim, but either way, it's impressive um, because you, you look at everybody understands his game and you know that he's only 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, There's a lot of good seven-footers out there, but he is still being highly successful. So Zion has just been a revelation. You know, after the last game, we saw how many tweets mentioning, hey, there's been so few players before to what put up a line of 31 points, nine rebounds, five assists. I think it was what the list consists of Kevin uh, Durant and, and a couple of others. So Zion, like I said, is doing something new every game and he's showing, you know, what essentially I think is a great road in what should be, you know, a really star-like and I don't want to say superstar yet, but, but he, he's on that path. He's entered the league. He's taken it by storm. And he's essentially become the number one option on this Pelicans team already. What's funny to me is we talked about this during the preseason. And I said, I didn't care if Zion ever shot a three ever. Because in his rookie year, I wanted him to do exactly what he is doing now. Use your physicality, get to the rim, and create free throw opportunities. And he's creating something like 10 uh, free throw opportunities per 36 minutes right now. And like you said, his free throw shooting percentage is going up. And it, it, to me, the only thing I want Zion to do is keep watching film of low post players. Watch guys like, um, you know, uh, those undersized guys or guys who are actually less athletic, because I think in the long run for his career, that'd actually be better for him. Um, because at some point, you're not going to want to dunk six times a game. And the guys who last, who are power players, figure out when they're going to do that. He already has shown that touch and the, and the ability to decide when not to go full power. 
But um, just to be quick on this, the, the guy that I thought of, you know, he always gets the Charles Barkley comparisons and he always gets the, the Larry Johnsons and stuff like that. A guy that I thought of that I thought, man, if Zion watched a little bit of this guy, it could be really interesting. And I'm going to see what you guys think of this. Bonzi Wells down on the block was amazing as an undersized post player. Played the small forward, but also was one of those undersized power forwards too and had great footwork. And I thought that it was just another one of those kinds of players that I thought could influence Zion's play uh, on the low post. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I was a, I really liked the Blazers team that Bonzi was on. So I, I watched him a lot at that time. Um, and yeah, I definitely see what you mean. He had like great footwork. He had, you know, could go over both shoulders. He had a lot of low post moves. Um, so that's really cool. And I, I think, you know, Imagine if Boogie played like Zion plays. I know, like, athleticism-wise, it's not the same, but using that advantage that they have down in the post, um, how dominant he, he would have been and that could have been here, um, but instead he wanted to go more to the perimeter. So, like you, I don't care if Zion ever really drifts out to the perimeter. He's incredible in the in the post, and somebody's got to play in the post, and, you know, why not have one of the best post guys most efficient post guys in college and so far, you know, one of the most efficient post guys in the NBA in his early career, especially if you consider what he was doing in preseason and with the tools that he has, you know, I mean, I don't think you, you don't need to outsmart yourself. You don't need to run, um, you know, a triple reverse to the third string tight end on third and one, you know, this guy is great doing this, utilize that and don't worry about trying to make him into something he doesn't have to be. Yeah, I think one thing who I want to jump in on that. So yeah. one thing that that jumps out to me about Zion and his game is he does his work early when he sees that he's going to have an advantage because of, you know, it the Pelicans are kind of getting getting into the their set quickly and there's a mismatch, he does his work early, he goes straight to the restricted circle, he he establishes good position. And one reason why he has been so successful, and I know that um, Grubb is going to love this, Lonzo Ball can throw an entry pass from just about anywhere on the floor. And that's been huge to kind of really reach Zion's potential short term um, on that, is the fact that he establishes good position when you have like a Trevor Ariza or a Carmelo Anthony or somebody that's just simply not big and strong enough. Zion goes to the hoop, he gets deep position, and it's a bucket, or he's shooting free throws. And you've seen that time and time again. And that's not that's not as much athleticism as it is just want to and brute strength. And that's that's something that you can't teach effort, and Zion has it. Yeah, real quick, Fish, I wanted to say something to that. We didn't see that in preseason. I think the coaching staff needs to be rewarded for putting Zion into these spots where he can be successful and doesn't need to create for himself from the perimeter, right? So whether he's catching off handoffs, some kind of movement cuts, or those post-ups, as you mentioned, I love that, like I said, he's having an impact by getting it in those spots. I think really we got to accolade the uh, whole coaching staff for that. Yeah, that's great recognition of them adjusting and getting those early, early dives to the rim for Zion. And then that secondary part for them is when they do go into the, go reset the offense, 
how many times has Zion gotten poked by standing on staying wide on that baseline and uh, either Drew, Lonzo, whomever gets once they get one foot in the paint, he's making that direct cut on the baseline towards the rim. And he's gotten a lot of those opportunities as well. And that's not just the athleticism. That's reading the defense. And he's done that so well. Okay, we're going into the All-Star break, so it seems like a good time. You know, it's the unofficial halfway mark of the season. It's well past the regular halfway mark of the season. But I think it's good in light of having Zion these last nine games and in light of the improvement of the Pelicans to kind of run through the lineup and, and give an evaluation of where we see these guys from the start of the season to this point. Let's start with the reserves and, in particular, Fish, I'm going to let you have this one because I know you've got strong feelings on this guy, and I think we all do now, um, in Josh Hart. Josh Hart might be my favorite Pelican. Um, I gave him the nickname online of the mayor. Um, I think that he could do a better job running the city of New Orleans right now than whoever it is. Is it Cantrell that's in the mayor's (laughs) office? I think he I think if if you give Josh Hart the offseason, he could fit, fix the sewage and water board. That is how much I love Josh Hart. Um it's just effort. What we saw I mean one one portion of the game that jumps out just from last night, the third quarter. And yeah, he made a couple threes and stuff like that, but it's just effort. And that I and that I think one jumping back to Zion when your star player gives that kind of effort, it's infectious. Josh Hart doesn't need it, but um, when you have multiple players that are just 100% effort and they actually have the talent to be in the league, they're not just effort is the only way that I can get my next minimum contract. But Josh Hart pulls difficult defensive assignments um, we've seen the Pelicans have him guarding C.J. McCollum last night. He's been the primary defender when Drew Holiday is out of the lineup against James Harden. Um, he's played defensively every position from power forward to point guard. He's second on the team in defensive rebounding rate right now, and he's shooting you know a respectable 35-ish percent behind the arc. I can't believe that some people – thought that Darius Miller was going to be ahead of Josh Hart in the rotation before the Pelicans played a game. That might have been the most <laughs> some foolish. People. <laughs> some people? <laughs> that that might have been the most foolish take that I read because somebody just looked and said, well, Darius Miller's listed at 6'7", and Josh Hart's listed at 6'5", and so obviously Darius Miller can play some small ball four, and Josh Hart can't do that because Josh Hart, Kevin and I have a, a special love for this. He's good at least once a game for having one rebound amongst trees that a guy who's six foot five has no business getting, and he just goes up and gets it because he wants it more than them. And then there'll be some transition opportunity where he has, you know, a decent defender backpedaling and he's going to attack, get all the way to the rim and get a layup or go to the free throw line. And the Pelicans lack that. So, no, I, I, hope, I hope the Pelicans extend him this summer. I hope he's a Pelican 
for life at this point. And then after that, he can become the mayor and make it so that the sewage stops, the water lines stop breaking. <laughs> so if hey, you, what, if, what, what the hell is all this just Kevin and I love the thing, right? We all have hey, this man. love and affinity for hard doing these things. Come on now. Yeah, I didn't say, I said we all have strong feelings about Josh Hart. We, all <laughs> we do, him. but Kevin and I, the, the love I, goes deeper and longer. Well, I think no, no, I'm not giving you that. No, <laughs> yes, Ollie, Ollie, I am giving them that because you know that there are people on this team that you that that you have slightly more affection for. You would let them have this one because I openly will admit that yeah, everybody knows that Lonzo is my and Derek Favors are my yeah. two favorites, and that's just how it goes. So we can all admit it, and it doesn't mean that we all don't love these guys. That, you know, as a whole. Yeah, what's wild, though, real quick, I want to toss this. I was looking at basketball reference, and we know that their positional um, data isn't completely accurate. But according to them, Josh Hart has spent around 77% of his time at small forward. And I want to say it was around, you know, 15 to 18 at power forward as to where it was under 10 for shooting guard. So I thought that was hysterical. Because it does really mean the, meet the eye test. Because we've seen Josh, I feel like, play a lot more power forward than he has shooting guard. I mean, that's what he played most of the end of the season last year for the Lakers. You know, I mean, that's just he's just a versatile guy. He can do everything. And like Fish said, like he rebounds like he's in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, just like prancing on top of trees, grabbing, grabbing a lot of people's hands, you know. I mean, he was the factor in the third quarter. His he he fed everybody else's energy. He was just everywhere. And that was just fantastic. Um, let's move on to our next uh, bench contributor, uh, J.J. Redick, who has been the stabilizing scoring force. It's still extremely efficient. And uh, right now he's playing great basketball. Kevin, what are your thoughts on JJ? Yeah. My only concern with JJ is like, why can't he hit free throws at home? Like, (laughs) like what happened there? Is that just my, I I mean, I have, I don't really look at numbers that much anymore lately. uh, So I could be wrong, but it just feels like he's good for missing at least one or two free throws at home every game. Um, But yeah, I mean, he's that, that scary shooter that you need to really create that space to open up things for, for drives. We're seeing Lonzo be able to drive more effectively. Obviously it aids um, Zion and getting to the rim and, you know, it puts panic in the defense when he, when he, when he catches the ball. I mean, he, he hits crazy shots. Um, he's, he's a joy to watch. And, you know, I was never like, I always thought he was a, a really good shooter, obviously, but I never really, like appreciated him for for what he was he wasn't like a player that I like followed and really cared about ever um but you know like watching him now it's just he's just magic when the ball hits his hands on a catch and shoot and you know he takes a lot of off balance stuff there's weird like frog leap looking shots that just drop you know oh my god that one hand the other day was crazy it's just it's just a a really impressive uh shooting performance that we're seeing from him yeah, he's been everything that he was asked to be when he came here. And, and now that he's been playing the role that he's supposed to be in, um, he's been extremely effective. Let's go to uh, – Kevin's eye for detail is amazing. I just want to say that J.J. on the season, on the road, shooting 92.2% from the free throw line. At home, 873 That's a big difference. <laughs> Hats off, Kevin. I mean, 87 still is great, but it just – it feels worse than that. But that's a big difference. A five-point difference is a big difference. Um, let's go to Ollie. And, and as Uh-oh, Jimmy Butler you... just got hurt. I'm sorry to interrupt, but he's Jimmy Butler around. just got hurt? 
He's limping around. He's leaving the court. Uh-oh. Well, uh, I guess more good news because you got to play the Heat. Um, you know, we're not going to be callous about people's injuries, but that would work in the Pelicans' <laughs> favor. Uh, Ollie, as as the designated Preston um, surrogate, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to uh, give your evaluation of one, the much maligned, but recently revived Frank Jackson. And sing it. You have to do no, it. In not, forget singing. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're still out for Preston. I want you. I want it to be a musical performance. You know, you know, Preston has an entire rock opera written about Frank Jackson. Let's go. Well, to, to, to Frank's credit, all right, he has been playing really good perimeter defense. I feel like, and it's been now for probably what six, maybe seven weeks. I feel like it's been to that first matchup the Pelicans had at home against the Detroit Pistons. You know, the one where Derrick Rose. Uh, scored four points on Drew to win it for the Pistons. But I felt like it was around that time. Frank started actually, you know, kind of being not a stopper, of course, but being a noticeable difference defensively off the bench because the Pelicans were so bad at the time. And they had been, you know, up until that point, especially on containing, uh, you know, durable penetration, all that good stuff. So Frank has done a great job. And Alvin's been trying to tell us this for like the better part of a month, but we're really seeing it. And I feel like it's translated now to his offense too, right? To where, you know, he just shot, what did he score, 13 points last night. I think he went three or four from deep. And he'll still have the hiccup. I mean, I remember him missing an open layup, I think, last night too. But he's not making error upon error. He's not lost um, on offense or defense, I feel like. And he's making the basic plays, right, where he can run a pick and roll and make a basic pass. I know he's hit Zion a few times. I've seen him hit Hayes and Derek Favors too in the last couple weeks. So I feel like, yeah, I mean – he deserves some praise for this and Alvin Gentry too, because let's face it, Nikhil Alexander Walker, who looked great in summer league, great in preseason. And we had hopes, Hey, you just got to play this kid. He'll work himself into it. I feel like he's been just getting worse. So he, he's been removed altogether uh, from the rotation. And, and that's not a surprise. You, you got to have consistent minutes to really truly improve when you're that young, but he hasn't either way. Frank hats off to him because he's, he's a serviceable rotation guy right now. If he can knock down that open three and if he can just not screw up a transition or something like that, then yeah, he's, he's in that positive out there. If he can, he be good, he's good. <laughs> he, That's what you just said. If he, he, is, yeah. if he can actually be good, he'll be good. I still don't like certain things about his game, just like you guys don't. He can't run an offense, right? I mean, he can run a set, you know, secondary like penetration or something like that, but just like what we saw in summer league and whenever else preseason, he cannot lead an offense, basically dribble it up yeah. the court and initiate something. So until that happens, it's hard to give him too much props. Cause I feel like you got to be able to do that in this system under Alvin. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also a, like a coaching and fit thing, you know I mean? Like I always say he can be an effective player if he's off ball cutter and a spot up shooter. And like you said, a decent perimeter stopper, but you put the ball in his hands and it's over. He's the, out of the, the players since December 18th, um, Frank is number 10 uh, in, on the team in net rating for what that's worth. I mean, uh, excuse me, for plus minus at point zero, uh, zero point seven. So he's slightly worth it. You know, it's just I think the thing with Frank is his highs are high, but his lows, when he plays poorly, it's really bad. You know, he's got those minus 14, minus 20 nights when he comes in. And those really, those swings are the thing that's, that keep him from being a consistent member of the rotation. 
Yeah, but just to be fair, he hasn't had those in a while, right? I feel like not in the last two The weeks. last one, um, the, the last couple ones, he had one on uh, January against the Clippers where they lost by three, and Frank was a minus 14 that night. And then the other was against Chicago when they blew the lead, and he was a minus 14. Oh, don't blame that on him. That whole I mean, he was on the floor while I know, I mean, but again, my God. About plus minus in the measurement. But I'm yeah. saying, well, you know, that, that yeah, don't use I plus think, minus for that game on no, Frank, no, though. No, that's no, all. To no, be no. fair, though, his his highs are mids, and that's not a Brandon Ingram joke. You said his highs are highs. <laughs> I don't know if he's had any high highs. Right, you know, right. Yeah, yes. He's had, so he's had his 20 point games. He's had a couple of games like that. But typically, right now, he sticks in the, you know, six to, to nine point range on a, re- on a pretty semi regular base. But even that's not regular because he's got. Three games where he didn't score a point in the last 10. So, um, yeah, it's just it's hard to still find to think that long term. And I think Fish would agree with this one, too. It's still hard to think that long term you still want to make that kind of investment in Frank at the end of the season, because still on a night to night basis, he's just okay. Yeah, but here's the thing. He is trending upwards. And I'm really generally want to see what he can do over the remaining uh, 28 games because, of course, the Pelicans are going to have an important decision on him, right? Yes. Restricted free agencies coming up, and they're going to have to decide, is he going to be worth whatever contract he's going to be able to fetch for himself? Well, I think there's a hard number for Frank. You know, I, I don't think he's a guy you waste a lot of time negotiating. Either he takes the number or you move on. He's, he's a second-round you know, bench player who's going to be your ninth or tenth man even next year. I don't know, man. His dad can bargain, I think. (laughs) 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 And maybe Preston will come down and and assist with his negotiations as well. I don't think it's that into collective bargaining. He doesn't seem much like a union man. Grub, I feel like like you should expand on Nicolo Melli. I think that's your guy. Yes, we need to talk about Melli. Instead of Jackson Hayes, Melli. I'm going to deal with Jackson Hayes. Um, but yeah, so we have Melly and we have Etwan. So if I'm taking Melly, who, which one of you is going to take Etwan? I'll take Etwan. Being... If okay, nobody so, else wants. Okay, so Kevin gets Etwan, but I'm I'm taking Melly now, and I'm am taking Frank Jackson. The thing we've seen out of Melly is, again, I'm not wowed by him. I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not willing to say, well, this is the Melly we were looking for. Because I don't think it is. I think we still expected more. We expected more along the lines of what you got out of Nico Miritich. He's still not that. I will say, however, he's been more aggressive. He has put the ball on the on the deck and dri- and driven to the basket. He's become a serviceable defender. He's still not a rebounder. Um, so he's no longer, in my eyes, a a disaster when he walks on the court. I don't cry. I don't um, turn my head, but at the same time, I'm, I think he's gotten better, but he's still not what he was sold to be. That's my feelings on him. Wow. I, That's like fish talking you, about Frank. So now somebody give Melly the accurate. Can <laughs> I ask, let me just ask Grub this. Grub, haircuts aside, Melly or Darius? Oh, that's not even close. That's not even close. If Darius had the greatest, tightest Jalen Rose level, Jawan Howard type fade, he no, I don't, I don't want to see Darius. I don't, I don't like watching him sitting there with his, his blazer and his T-shirt. I'm like, dude, go do something, go do something. You, you, you got better things to do to hang out here. Go, go hang out. Go, go, go meet some friends. I, I don't need to see him in SKC ever again. Okay. I'll be Just honest. I love what Melly's brought since like the start of the year. 
I think he's been a net positive in a lot of areas, not just shooting the ball, which is crazy. You got to mention he's hitting over 50% from three, right? Since but he doesn't time? take that many. It's not like he's taking a ton. He's, not he's had crazy. some games where he shot eight, six. I mean, I think it's an appropriate number for the amount of minutes he gets. If he's not open, he's not going to shoot it, Dave. But if he's open, yeah. But he doesn't think he's open a lot. Even when I he think he's definitely improved, come a long way since the start of the he year. He has gotten respect. better. He has gotten better. But I'm still saying he's not what he was advertised to be. Do you think that he was – didn't you expect that he was going to provide something, especially when we were watching him in the preseason? Didn't you think that he was going to provide something more along the lines of, you know, being closer to, say, like a 9-7 a, a, a and seven guy every night? You thought it was going to be something like that off the bench, and that's not who he is. Mm, I would, I would have said like maybe nine and six. <laughs> what the? What the <laughs> I, I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> he still fouls too much. I mean, you know, it's just those are little things. No, he's not getting super lost defensively, and I feel like he's getting himself in good rebounding position where he's a positive rebounding wise right i don't know i've seen enough and my favorite dave though honestly is the way he can work with the guards on the perimeter and keeping that action that flow going once a lot of our starters sit down right so i think he's like i said i've seen great strides in his game but he's still purely a second unit guy if he has oh to for start, sure yeah like yeah. I, I don't ever want to see him start if they, that that's your worst case scenario if he has to start because he's he's, he's he, he's much better against nba backups is would you him. would you rather have Melly start Jackson Hayes, Frank Jackson, or Darius Miller? <laughs> Melly, you give me that choice. I'm taking Melly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So he. Okay. Good. But that's like saying, do you want to get shot? Do you want to get pushed down a flight of stairs that leads into a pool of razor blades? Do you want to have explosive diarrhea until you die? Those are not great choices that you're trying to give me. I feel like I already have explosive diarrhea until I die. <laughs> It's just been, right, we have gone off the hinge of fish. Long. Yeah. All right, we Kevin, need- you took each one. You may have each one. Okay, thank you. I, you know, I always really loved each one. Um, I thought, you know, this year was probably going to be a year where we traded him. Uh, you know, in combination with Darius, like, you know, I think a lot of people thought that was going to be the situation. That didn't pan out. Um, it's not because I didn't like what Etwan brought. It's just because I, you know, he's on the last year of his contract. They have J.J. Redick, a slew of young guards looking towards the future. I just didn't think that he would be a long-term piece here. Um, And he started off slow to begin the season. Um, But, you know, he's back to being that dynamic shooter. His floater game has always been great. Uh, I think – I feel like he's gotten better on defense. I feel like he's very important to the locker room. And he's drastically improved his playmaking. His, you know, like – Whereas I felt like he was going to kill everybody anytime he threw a pass to them. I don't feel that way anymore. I can sit back in my chair and relax when he's when he's making an entry pass or or even an alley-oop, uh, which is something I never thought I could ever feel with Etwan. And I think, you know, if this Pelicans team does make the playoffs, um, that he's going to be a really good stabilizing force for this team if they need him in the rotation, um, if they need to keep a really, like, fear-inducing shooter out there, um, you know, you can have uh, – if, if J.J. needs to take a break or, you know, if you're dealing with injuries and you need to play J.J. less or J.J. starting for whatever reason, um, you know, Etwan can give you those minutes and he can provide what J.J. does in that sense. But he's also a nice driver and float 
has that great flow game that we've seen. I think the locker room really likes him. Um, so I do think he's like a key piece of this team. And I, and now I wouldn't be surprised if he was brought back on a pretty decent deal. If he, if he's willing to take, you know, like a five to $8 million deal again, like he had right now. Um, I, I think he could possibly be here again next year. And I wouldn't be mad at that. I, you know, I always really like him and I'm glad to see him being productive in the minutes that he's getting. All right. I'm, I'm glad I didn't give you this one, Kevin, because I think you might've just gotten, Really, well, you might have been just really brief about it too because your feelings are pretty clear. So, I'm gonna give this one to Fish. And I'm actually, no, I'm gonna throw it to Ollie. Let's give it back to Ollie. Ollie, you get your little Oka for <laughs> Look, I love John. He's come up with several really big games when we least expected it. He, he is responsible for that win uh, against the Denver Nuggets early in the season. Then, of course, against the Detroit Pistons up in Detroit when seemingly what six, seven guys were out. So I'm not going to say anything negative about Jaleel. <laughs> Are you, uh, you've been watching Curb Your Enthusiasm, Ollie? <laughs> Kevin, I'm going to let you finish that discussion then. Yeah, the, well, like the last episode was called You're Not Going to Get Me to Say Anything Bad About. That was the name of oh, it. Oh, yeah, that's right. I don't through the whole thing. Like, you're not, you're not going to get me to say anything bad about this guy. No, look, we, we know what the story is with Jaleel. He doesn't fit this style of, of play on either end very well. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Everybody knows that. If it's not a well, big bruising center out there, then he really doesn't have a spot on that floor. No, I think he's not a problem offensively. It's always been Jaleel's defense. And that's the thing that keeps him off the floor. Because he scores every time he's in the game. He's never had a problem scoring. In his scoring numbers this year, most of his numbers are like career highs. But, he's but it comes in the post-David side of the style and the flow that Alvin and the guys like to run, right? But he it, goes quick not... into his offense. I don't think he holds the ball defensive offensively. I think when he half gets the, time, the ball, he goes like he quick catch... into his move. David, half the time I swear he catches it and he does. He faces up the opponent. Then he tries to like juke him out, dribble around them and such. It, it's not just always post touches. That's I all. agree with Ali. You okay, hate him. You hate no, him. No, you, no, you hate no him. look. My thing with Okafor is he is incredible at certain things and terrible at certain things. And he's terrible at the things we need, we need right. him to be good at and great at the things that we don't need from him. And it's not because of where the NBA is or whatever. It's just because of our system and how we play and the people around him. I think that's fair. I think that's you know, really fair, Kevin. So they, yeah, I'm hard on him, but I also can appreciate how gifted he is in the post because he is very gifted in the post. It, I, I think you're absolutely fair there because the two things they need from all of their bigs, and that's the most, they're going to be the thing going forward with this team until, you know, for the next couple of years is they've got to be able to defend and rebound. And Jaleel, those are the two weakest parts of his game. And they are not just weak. They are fundamentally bad. And, and so it, you, for what he gives you, he takes too much away. So I, I, I'm with you on that. I'm, you know, I think the rest were just kind of splitting hairs. But yeah, though that's the main thing, and you're right, in my opinion. Well, really, um, the main thing is is that why is Jaw on the team instead of um, why is Darius instead of Christian Wood? But I don't want to reheat that. Jaw's <laughs> money ain't Jaw's money wasn't Wood's money. Melly's money was Wood's money. Or Darius's money. Or Darius's money. Those two people took Wood's money. Is I, I, but that's that's a dream for another day. We all we all love wood. Um, 
So I'm going to finish this up with Jackson Hayes because Jackson Hayes started like a bat out of hell and everyone was so, we were all, you know, so impressed that, that this kid who had such limited experience was doing so well. And it seemed like he was progressing really quickly. The shooting numbers still look great, but he still fouls at a much too high rate. Defensively, he still gets lost far too often or reaches when he doesn't have to reach or you don't see him really working for position on the glass. You don't really see him doing much offensively other than looking for tips or looking for lobs. It just feels like Jackson is kind of at a stage where he likes the applause and he likes the highlights, but he hasn't figured out yet to be a professional. I'm not saying abandon Jackson. I'm not trying to throw the him over the side of the cliff, but at the same time, out of the if if you were telling me of the the young core, if I had to, to drop one of them, and I'm only counting the guys who have been here this year, the new group, he would be the guy that I would say is most likely to bust of all the guys who came in this year. That is a strong take. Um, not that if I, I said if you made me pick one, that's what I, I mean. Think. Not that I disagree with it, and I know a lot of people are going to be upset about it. My thing has always been that NBA big man defense is a whole lot more complicated than we make it out to be. There's a lot of footwork and a lot of angles, and you need like you're a half step too high or you're half step too low and you're toast because you just can't recover against this NBA, you know, an NBA athlete. And Jackson Hayes isn't just a half step. He's a whole step. He's a step and a half in the wrong direction. There was a, there was a, a high screen and roll that jumped out to me um, last night in the Portland game. And Portland sets a very high screen and roll. And Jackson wasn't showing very high on it. Um, I mean, they're setting it like 35 feet from the hoop. He's not showing very high on it. He was still at the very top of the key above the foul line. And Damian Lillard gets a free run at the hoop. Like there's a seven footer right there between him and the basket. And he's so poorly positioned and he's not helping contain the ball and he's a big man, and he's the only big man on the floor. And there's Damian Lillard just running straight to the hoop for a dunk. And stuff like that, it just jumps out that there's so much more for him to learn that, I mean, it's just going to take time. And I guess my hope is still that Derek Favors can be the one that teaches it to him. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see if he, if he can get better. But, I, I, like, right now I kind of feel like he's either – um, going to be, uh, you know, he's going to turn into something great or he becomes like a JaVale McGee type who takes five, six, seven years to become just serviceable enough that you feel comfortable with. Just an uber athlete who just mentally you're waiting for him to mature and get it together. Okay, let's move on to the starters. Um, since we've already covered Zion Williamson and just his nightly impact, let's go um, – with the let's start with the newer guys and we'll go with Lonzo Ball and I'm not going to take Lonzo I'm going to give Lonzo to uh, Fish who uh, has probably paid very close attention to Mr. Ball as of late. Like I said with Zion, the fact that he can get those entry passes in has been huge. Um, Lonzo between Lonzo and Derek Favors, I think those two guys are the best team defenders. They get into the lanes. They get themselves in the right locations. 
Um, not necessarily just like perimeter defense is much more individual oriented. Um, but what he's done there, and then there've been a couple plays where he's been attacking the basket. There was the play against Indiana where he got isolated on miles Turner crosses over and everyone felt like he's going to settle for the step back. Miles Turner thought he was going to settle for the step back shows out too hard. Uh, Lonzo crosses over, gets all the way to the basket and finishes at the, at the rim. And then in the Portland game, there were a number of times, and not just the Portland game, but the Portland game where he finished after going into big men's bodies and drawing the contact and bouncing off of it and still finishing. That's something that we did not see out of Lonzo in the first 35 games of the season. He would shy away from that contact. He would flip up a layup attempt that doesn't have much of a chance at all or he would leave his feet and then try to find someplace else to go with the basketball. His willingness to attack the basket and willingness to accept contact, I think a lot of that has to do with his growing confidence at the foul line, that he's not afraid to get fouled and go shoot free throws, has been enormous. But he's orchestrating the offense well. He's getting the ball to Zion. Um, there's He's starting to get that kind of – there's just a head nod and Zion's going to drop step somebody that he has a good position on. And it's a backdoor lob because there's no big man in the paint at this time. And we're going to see that a lot more. Lonzo has Lonzo has been as good as his stands on Twitter would tell you that he is over the past 20, 25 games. And it, it's been a joy to see, to see him start to achieve the potential that, you know, he kind of came into the league um, with, and I, I just can't wait for it to continue. Moving on from Lonzo. Um, let's talk about a guy who's been out recently. How can we not talk about Lonzo Ball's play from the last game? The, the, the dive. dive on the court. Then Kevin did talk about Tej- and then J.J. Redick misses the three, and then it was because of Lonzo's second effort. He got up, ran all the way down the court. He tipped it back to – I forget whoever, whichever Pelican grabbed it, but then he kicked it back to J.J., and he nailed a three. Yeah, I think that play that. exemplifies what I love about Lonzo the most, actually. Yeah, I talked about that already, Ali. Yeah. Come on. Oh, you did? Oh, I'm yeah, so sorry. God. Yeah. I've been feeding my dogs. <laughs> I, I wasn't paying attention. Thanks for paying attention to the show. Well, it's good uh, to we, – we, we needed to remind people of that fact. So, there, I did it. I got the yeah, reviewing. I, yeah, the good – I mean, I think the, 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 the one thing that I want to make sure that folks understand, and, and the criticism from that sector of folks who said, when is Alvin going to give Lonzo the keys to the offense? He always wanted to give the keys to the offense yes. to Lonzo. No I'm one so has glad. talked up Lonzo Ball more than Alvin Gentry. He loves Lonzo Ball. Lonzo's biggest thing were all the things that, that, that Fish just went through. They were mental hurdles that he needed to climb. We were, talked to, we were told about those from uh, Jamel McMillan. We were talking about those from other folks that, quite frankly, Lonzo needed to get his confidence, and he needed to be more assertive and aggressive. And part of that is you saw at the moment he felt that he was healthy, he was started on that path, and here's where he is now. So like Fish said, I'm, I agree too. These kinds of guys, what you see over these next 28 games, it's, uh, it's so exciting because we don't know. 
what the end of that book is going to go look like. Um, let's move on to Brandon Ingram, the all, the lone all-star this year, um, a guy that has already been a major surprise. The people that question the fit with him and, and Zion, I don't see a problem. I just think that Brandon is is quite frankly a little tired. Um, so Kevin and injured and injured. Yeah, and injured. He has he's, he's got a bum knee and a bum ankle that have been bothering him as well as of late. Kevin, what has been the best thing uh, about Brandon Ingram so far, and what do you like about his fit with Zion going forward? I mean, I mean, he's hurt right now, but the best thing has been his long-term health. You know, that that blood clot issue seems to be nothing anymore, um, which is the only thing that really scared me about him coming in as one of the bigger assets coming for Anthony Davis. I mean, you watched uh, how he closed out the season for the Lakers, he was, you know, he was dominating, you know, with his length that he can get a shot up over anybody. Um, he's silky smooth. He, he glides across the court. He's not, he's not the most athletic guy. He's not very quick, but he has a real, um, he's very decisive when he decides to attack. And I think um, his finishing around the rim has been a little bit of a surprise for me. How, how like much touch he has and how much diversity he has in his uh, ability to score around the rim, you know, using both hands, adjusting his body, slinking around defenders. Um, and then his, you know, his three-point shot has obviously greatly improved this year. He's shown flashes of that in the past, um, but it's been steady all year, and that's a great sign. Um, defensively, early on, he was put in a bad situation where he was having to play a lot of power forward and guard a lot of power forwards, which is tough. He still struggles a little bit against super athletic uh, small forwards, but, you know, that's going to be offset a little bit when you have Zion and a healthy Derek Favors behind him that can help him out in that situation. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's been great. You know, I'm sure a lot of people think he should be uh, most improved player. Um, I wouldn't be mad if he was, in my opinion, if you're drafted second, you – don't really deserve to get it if you achieve these numbers just because like that's what you expect but you know if he gets it I'll be very happy for him and obviously applaud it as a Pelicans fan but in general that's not I you know I give it to more guys like Siakam or uh Devontae Graham or OG Ananobi guys that you don't expect to to come out of nowhere you know or Spencer Dinwiddie or something um but he's putting up those numbers that could win that kind of award um, it's great that he made the all-star game, um, and I'm just extremely excited about him. You know, or initially you could worry a little bit in the sense that it's like all, he has a little bit of Anthony Davis personality to him where he's not like a fiery leader, and if he's your alpha, then, you know, that's a little bit of a problem. Uh, but we have Zion, and I feel like Zion's that alpha that we need, and he's not that – he's a different kind of alpha. He's a cheer, cheerful, um, like sort of – extremely happy radiant alpha but he brings that intensity that you need for the team so ingram can just feed off of that and not have to worry about being that team leader guy so i'm really happy with with what he's brought and you know we finally have a small forward i mean when's the last time you could say we had a complete small forward Um, we had really one season of a guy that was a complete all complete player at the small forward position. Page was a great offensive player, but not since Matt, Matt, that one year of Mashburn have we really had a guy that you could count on to do everything that you want out of that small forward position, and we got him now. The only I want thing to I... jump in on this one. Okay, so, real quick. I mean, because there were, there were concerns that there was going to be a struggle and a, and a fit issue 
-hmm. with um Which with Zion. Thank you for addressing this. Yes. <laughs> well, there there was there were concerns and they struggled out of the gate. Zion and Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram's last five games with with Zion before he sat out. I mean, it, I, my what I've heard from the team is pretty much it's a minor ankle sprain and he needs a little bit of rest. So we're not going to push it hard. And we but won both knee, games anyway. The knee was more serious. The knee, yeah, his that, knee that, has needed rest. It's been bothered him for it's it's bothered him for twice. Months. Maybe even three times this year. Yeah. But let, let me just read you off. In the last five games that uh, that Brandon Ingram played, he was averaging 23.8 points, six rebounds, 3.8 assists, while shooting 53.8% from the floor, 44% behind the arc, and 95% from the free throw line. So if that's Brandon Ingram battling through some injuries and still trying to adjust to playing with. Uh, we lost fish. And we lost fish. Yeah. I mean, to add what, to what he's saying, like I never saw the problem with the fit because you got a guy mm -hmm. who can get a shot up over anybody who can play make and can space the floor for him. And you can run offense through him. You can stagger him. So each of them gets their shine. I mean, there was really and, no issue. Yeah. And Ali, we talked about this. We talked about this, the way that they set up the offense. They don't put them on the same side of the floor. And so defenses cannot have guys cheat on one or the other because they, the Pelicans are doing a very good job when they are on the court together of not having them get in each other's way. They may run screen and roll for them, but they're not keep putting them in each other's way. No, and all I was going to add was that Zion is a bowling ball. We know what he's, he's – he's a wrecking ball to where he's going to destroy the inside, and he's done so well. As for Ingram, I think fits so well alongside that because he has a great skill set. For his height, it's incredible how I think already at his young age how he can play make, create his own shot off the dribble, whether it's in isolation or within the flow, and, of course, shoot from anywhere on the court. How is that guy not supposed to fit with Zion? I don't, like I said, I didn't understand those criticisms early. And yeah, his, his, his what was this? His scoring volume dipped initially because he wasn't getting the same amount of shots when Zion first came in or returned basically to play. But that has righted itself as Fish has just talked about. But either way, I think they make for a fantastic pairing. I just want to see one of them develop into an above average defender soon because neither one I feel like is there yet. Yeah, that's, their, that's his biggest issue. And I'd say also the way NBA defenses are set up now is that they're protecting the, the three-point line and the paint, and he's an assassin in the mid-range. So, like, he can just pop in there and get any shot he wants and get it off, and, and you can be confident every time he takes it. And he's tougher uh, – the last to, to close out on him, he's, he's tougher than people think. You know, that's the thing is people think he's a slim, finesse-type player. But we've seen him go hard at the rim. We've seen him oh, get yeah. his eye busted open knock to the ground and get right back up. And, when, and again, when you talk about those pieces, those alpha pieces, Zion brings that energy and fierceness and, and those things. Ingram is as fierce a competitor, but just in a different way. Right. And that resilience to injury, when you talk about in comparison to alphas or faux alphas that have walked through the Smoothie King halls, that's not Brandon Ingram. That's a dude who will battle for you. Yeah, like Zion's a warrior. Ingram is a ninja, you know, like. Yeah, Ingram will get you. He'll get you when you ain't looking. All right, let's go on to uh, – Ali, I want you to, to talk about Drew Holiday and, and just 
the roller coaster that we've been on with Drew and, and now where he is at this point in the season. Yeah, so Drew missed some time with that elbow, right? And he started off the season course, first 10 games. He was kind of bad, Drew. He couldn't hit the bottom of the net, shoot layups. He was dribbling the ball off his heel. Basically, stuff we've seen previously in the past where he's gone through those stretches for whatever reason. But he righted himself, but he never took off, right? He never became that face uh, that Griffin kind of painted him out to be. And that's fine. I, I think long-term, this is who he is. He doesn't want to be that guy. He just wants to be a secondary guy. And he can do so many beautiful things. So that's the key. You don't want to put that pressure on him to do a certain thing outside, of course, defend. But offensively, you just want him to do what he does well, right? He works within this offense. And I feel like, look, he came back. He had a great 36 points where I felt like it was because of those 36 on the MLK day. The Pelicans squashed Memphis right from the get-go. And he's had some mixed bag performances right after that, but I feel like he's kind of steadied himself since. Um, for instance, last night against Portland, he was the only guy that had anything going um, in that first quarter. I believe he had like eight points. He made a three or two. In Indiana, he was spectacular. Without Drew, the Pelicans don't win that game where he had like 31 points, 10 assists, because he had 14 points in that closing five minutes. But like I said, when you don't ask him to do something on a nightly basis – we get into problems with Drew, but when he's just, you know, allowed to fill a certain vacuum role, just, you know, like we saw a couple of years ago when Rondo was on a team, AD and uh, Nicole Meritich, that team, they didn't really rely on Drew. He just kind of just, you know, grabbed the opportunity when it was there, but when he was comfortable. And I feel like he's kind of getting into that groove again. So, you know, you're never going to be able to knock Drew for his defense. I mean, look, Dame Lillard is yet to make the three against the Pelicans. And the reason why on the season is because of Drew. So, you can't ever knock Drew too much because he does play and make. He does do the most driving to the rim on this team consistently. So, therefore, he's always breaking down defenses and, of course, that defense. So, I have no problems with Drew, and I really don't have a problem with keeping him past this year if David Griffin thinks he can factor in and possibly be re-signed. Obviously, probably at a lower price point. I don't think that he's worth the contract he's on now moving Hold forward. On. We're going to talk about that because there is a question. Oh, okay. Exactly Sorry. All right. We'll to get to that, that later. So I, I, just, I didn't want to – yeah, I just wanted to let you know since there will be an opportunity because I know we, we probably all have an opinion on that. But you and Fish primarily, I think, will we'll discuss that when we get to that question. Um, last, my guy, Derek Favors. Um, let me just – I'm going to be real quick about this because I've been really tired of hearing about people who are so quick to want to get rid of Derek Favors because they think that he's not a modern NBA center. Derek Favors has the most invaluable skill set on that team right now. If he's not there, they are no way close to doing what they're doing right now. It's it's just simple. You do the math. They're only the two winningest players by percentage on this roster are Zion Williamson, and he ain't been here that long, and Derek Favors. In the 35 games Derek Favors has been in, he's 17 and 18. If he's healthy during that 13-game win streak, the Pelicans are probably a 500 team right now. I mean, that's just – the fact of the matter, because the defense was so bad while he was out. In all of Zion's top five lineups, Derek Favors appears in them, whether it's five-man, four-man, three-man, two-man. Derek Favors in all those groups. He's the, You cannot replace what he does. You can We can talk about his financial value, but for 20 to 25 minutes a night, he gives you things that no one else on that roster can give you, and he does things that allows everyone else to do their jobs better. And I just think that, like, again, I, he is not the most valuable player, but he is certainly the most important player 
on this team going forward. If he's healthy down the stretch and gives you that solid 25 minutes a night, then I would be I am much more confident in the Pelicans making the playoffs if he than if he misses five to ten games with injury down the stretch. I agree wholeheartedly. So much of what the Pelicans try to do offensively is predicated on a big man setting quality screens to get the guards at moving on or off the ball. Mm-hmm. And Derek Favors is undoubtedly the best screen setter on the team right now. Um, we haven't seen as much of his playmaking in the short role that that we saw without Zion. Um, but to your point, when Zion and Derek Favors are on the floor, they're posting a plus 19.2 net rating. They are smashing opponents. So this idea that they weren't going to fit together has proved completely foolhardy. Now, might there be certain matchups or situations where it's not necessarily the best best lineup? Sure, there will be. In crunch time, that might be difficult sometimes. But for 24 to 28 to 30 minutes a game, you need Derek Favors on the floor. Derek Favors is the only big man on the roster who understands how to play NBA defense right now. Full stop. So, and you need what he does. He's by far the best rebounder on the team. Um, and Particularly on the offensive glass. Well, I was actually going to say particularly on the defensive glass. But, I, mean, I mean, he his... far outpaces. I mean, because oh, every... Zion attacks the offensive glass. But Zion so far has proven to be not necessarily the best defensive rebounder. I agree. Yeah. Um, so, whereas Derek Favors just swallows up rebounds and and just does his job. That I, I I cannot. He understands sing. space better than any center fish that I've ever seen play for this team. Going back to Tyson Chandler, and I think he's better than Tyson in that respect. Yeah. No, I mean he. A lot of times it doesn't look like he's exerting a substantial amount of effort, and that's just because he's smart enough that he's in the right spot. Exactly. And it's not – It's it, big man defense is not a cat chasing a laser pointer. And Derek Favors understands that, and when Jackson Hayes checks in, you see that he doesn't. It, it's so glaring. Favors rebounds per minute and, and per 36 are just ridiculous numbers. If he, you know, if he, and that's, and that's taking all the games where he didn't get to 20 minutes into account. You know what I mean? Like if, if he had been healthy, I have no doubt that this is already a 500 team, even without, even with Zion missing all the games he did, if favors is healthy for those 20 or so games where he just couldn't really give you anything, either he was completely out of the game or when he did play, his body was not allowing him to do stuff. they win they win the majority of those games i think i agree yeah i'm not gonna disagree there (laughs) all right let's move on to our questions uh because we have some good ones the first one i'll just throw out because it's 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 really quick and i'll just take it and it to me the answer is simple the area that the team has improved in most since the losing streak to me it's just health you have a healthy favors you you add zion williamson um lonzo ball's gotten healthier um the team that more than anything the health of those guys is, is to me, the number one factor because those, that's the domino that's impacted the defense. That's the domino that's impacted the offense. That's the domino that's impacted the energy. Um, and that one was from FM Sammy. 
This one, uh, I'm going to throw this one to Kevin. This is from at Goldmeyer. Uh, if this roster remains the same, mostly the same, going into next season, what is its ceiling? I mean, you got to feel pretty good about where we're at, and you got to expect some growth from some of the younger players, especially Zion, um, because, like you said, he's only played nine games, and you already see what kind of force that he can be offensively if he improves some on team defense. Um, then your ceiling is really high. Um, I think, it, you know, you got to remember also next year, Golden State's going to be healthy again. You're going to have Steph and Clay back. Um, and then, you know, you're still going to be rolling back the Lakers, the Clippers. Denver is probably still going to be good. So I still think it's um, somewhere between, you know, the sixth and eighth seed. I, I think you got to project them as a playoff team, even though that bottom of the West is still really good. Um, yeah, that's what I – like this season, I think – I, I said uh, tenth to sixth seed wouldn't be a shock um, for me, and I think that next year you, you got to bump that up to eight to maybe five. Anybody else want to chime in quickly on that one? The I think they're easily a fifty-win team, so that automatically puts them in a playoff picture. I'm not going to talk about seeding because that all comes down to injuries, right. of course, and then you know how the stretches of whether the ball bounces your way or not, basically, right? Over the last 26 games, the Pelicans are winning at a 53-win pace. Boom. There you go. Against a, tip, against a difficult stretch of their schedule, not an easy stretch of their schedule. All right, Fish, um, you, you touched on this a little bit earlier, um, but I think this is a good one for you. It's from W. Drew uh, Sokol. How much will Lonzo and Hart cost, and do you think the Pels try to extend them both before next offseason? I think it's more likely that Josh Hart is extended before Lonzo because I think you're more likely to be able to lock in Josh Hart at a reasonable number. Whereas Lonzo's draft position, his relative age, and the amount of improvement he's shown um, since coming over from Los Angeles and then also during this season. Um, that I wouldn't be surprised if Lonzo says he feels like he's going to be a max player and so he doesn't want to settle before then. But can you get can you get uh, Josh Hart to re-up for something, you know, in that maybe 10 to $14 million a year range where he's like just like that that area where it's like really good backup slash spot starter, which is pretty much the role that Josh Hart's filling for the team right now. Um, I, I think that might be the case where you can get him locked in there because he's looking at the other guys on this team and the Pelicans are going to lock in Brandon Ingram and he's going to say, yeah, I'd really like to be on a team that's going to have Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson for the next, the remainder of, you know, this contract, this extension that I'm going to sign. So maybe Josh Hart somewhere in like a, Four to forty to like four to fifty-two, like a Solomon Hill contract. But then, <laughs> How about like, a can you give that to the man? Let's Don't do Mark that to the man. Can you get Josh Hart for Solomon Hill money? Like, yeah, something like that. Let's call but it. I, I would be call I would it somebody be, else money. Call Mark it. I love. <laughs> I love solo, but just call it somebody else money. 
Come on, Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart. Forget Solomon Hill. It's Marcus yeah. Smart. Please. <laughs> that that makes it sound worse because you know it's still Solomon Hill money. Um, <laughs> but so, um, but I, I don't think. I don't think Alonzo extension is likely because yeah, Alonzo's no going to think he yeah. wants like Buddy Heald or Harrison Barnes money, which <laughs> it's still bad. I can't. Yeah, Harrison <laughs> Barnes money is another one. Yeah, that, that, oh, we're going to have to do that. The all overpaid team this year. Yeah, and I'm going to put Jamal Murray on there. Believe it or not, Jamal Murray is a max contract. That's that's Brandon Ingram money. So I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I know, but I'm saying I don't think Jamal Murray is worth that. But we're going to talk about that another time. Yes. So that's where we are with Lonzo and 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 Hart. Um, Ollie, since you you did want to talk about this one, this is um from Joe Fagan, and he's asking about Drew's future. What do you see there? Is he somebody he doesn't want to see? He's not necessarily wants to see Drew go, but he does say, well, you know. How does this play out? Is there a benefit to moving him in the offseason? Do you think he's the kind of player that you can keep long-term at a reasonable price at his age? What do you see as Drew's future if you were guessing today? Yeah, there's two major obstacles in the long-term future, which is, of course, past his existing contract. One is, does he want to be here? And, of course, along with that, does it comes with it is the fact, is he okay in taking a backseat? I think we've gotten our answer on that. And, Recently, I've been hearing he is very happy. That's why the Pelicans were absolutely not looking to move him. They were going to have to be absolutely overwhelmed with the deal in order to even consider it from what I was told. Because Drew actually, you know, during that 13-game losing streak, everybody was, you know, down and out, kind of looking at all sorts of possible avenues. But since that time, I've heard that all the players actually, you know, not just Drew, but Derek Favors and J.J. Redick, they're still very much in this process that the Pelicans have started with all these scores. So I think that with that being answered, then of course the next step is if you're going to keep Drew, if he wants to be here, then you've got to figure out what's a good price. Cause you can't pay him. I feel like the same ballpark figure again. I know what he brings defensively. I know what he means to the team, but look, we, we both know, or all of us know here that Brandon Ingram is going to be a max guy. Eventually Zion's going to be a max guy. I think Lonzo is a big, you know, he can, for me, I can see him being anywhere from 10 to 12 million to a max guy, depending on what he does next year. So if you're throwing Drew Holiday another 25 million, I don't think that's doable for this roster. So I, I'm looking at if he would be amicable to say anywhere to the 15, 18 million dollar range, and you go ahead and give him four years, um, I, would, I would be agreeable to that. I think my thing would be, I kind of just want Drew to take his option. And I, would, I just want to see how it goes. Because Ooh, going see, I would rather he forgo the option and sign a four-year deal. If he's keeping that option, then I'm taking that four-year deal off the table. Oh, I don't want to offer him the four. That That's my thing. Is because the one thing I worry about is 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 what does Drew Holiday look like at 32, 33 years old? I say Iguodala. I've been saying that for the longest. Well, I certainly don't want to pay Iguodala 25. I don't want to pay Drew Holiday. No, no. What I mean by that is age gracefully be a still a presence difference maker, a real good, like, you know, part of your death lineup, quote unquote. I think that's valuable. I really do. But it's not Drew, $20 million valuable. It is. It, that's that's the problem with Drew. Like, it's hard to take a pay cut on the team that you're already on. It's so much easier to take a pay cut think when so? you're moving to a new yes. team and a new role. Didn't Tim Duncan, Dirk Nowitzki, I'm trying to think of others. Drew ain't Tim Duncan. That's different. Drew ain't Tim Duncan. Tim had gotten 
You know, Tim has got. He could be New Orleans Tim Duncan. Why the hell? Hell no, he could not. He's the Allen Iverson. Hell no, he could not. No, Drew, Drew, the the thing with the, the the issue with Drew is you're not just asking him to take a pay cut. Hey, Drew, do you want to take a pay cut when you're like thirty? Like Tim Duncan took a pay cut when he was like thirty five, and at that point, they're limiting his minutes, and he's not playing back to backs. Dirk Nowitzki started taking pay cuts, you know, in his mid thirties. They hope you hope they were going to get some players and Cuban right, but delivered. But those are all number one options. Drew himself, he knows he's not a number one option, guys. Come on. But he's but paid how like much of a, it. Yeah, how much of a cut do you think a vet is going to take and then the union Well, his itself. agent is going to like it. But I think Drew, I'm telling you, he, he's so happy about trying to build something. He, he That's why I loved Will's article that he recently wrote and those quotes because I've been hearing the same. He is truly into what the Pelicans are building. And if it brings wins, if it brings stability, I think he would do a cut. Not a big one, but enough. I think it's. I think that what's being heard and said in the background is just because of Drew is a consummate professional, and he's doing things the way that every you would hope every professional is going to do. But when it comes to his future career decisions, he's going to think about number one, and we shouldn't begrudge him that whatsoever. Definitely not. I just think he's a good fit for this roster, guys. Who else are you going to fill on this roster? You don't want to for twenty nine million dollars. Do we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're not going to do that because we're not at that date, and, and that turns into a much longer discussion. All right, yes. that, that, that's well, that's, that's going to make for a good podcast. Yeah, I we could do an disagree. hour just on Drew Holiday's future, and it's I don't want to do it twenty with twenty eight games left in a. We playoff can do race. that in May. Yeah. Okay, last question, and this is very simple. It's a one-word answer from each of you, and we can get out of here. Um, and this is from A. Jackson, 620. Biggest threat to the Pels playoffs, Portland or Memphis? Start with Kevin, Portland or Memphis? Uh, I mean, I think Memphis because they're already ahead, and then we just saw Damian Lillard have a groin injury, so that definitely reinforces that for me. Fish? I still think Portland, just because Memphis's schedule going down the stretch is so difficult and their team is so young and their jaw might hit the rookie wall. So I still feel like it's Portland. Ollie? This groin injury changes things. I mean, for a week now, I've been saying Portland. And, of course, today you guys know I had a little bit of cold feet because Memphis is so far ahead in the standings. But with Damian Lillard getting a, was a grade one or two right groin strain, that's, he's going to miss a few games. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to lean to Memphis now because, as, as what I told you guys in the group, a lot of things can happen. A lot of – even though they're playing a tough schedule, a lot of guys can be rested. They could be injuries. Those playoff teams are not going to be playing full board the last three or four weeks of the season, I think a lot of them anyways. Yeah, if, if it's a mild groin strain, um, you know, we're talking about – he could be back right after the All-Star break if he sits out that – eight, nine days there. But if, you, if you're talking two, three weeks um, for him being out, he's by far the guy who makes Portland go, as we know. Um, so that changes everything for me, that injury. Before an injury, I would have said Portland because mm-hmm. they're the more experienced team. Agreed. I wouldn't have wanted to bet against them. They've been in this situation before with a number of guys who at the end of games are going to feel comfortable taking a shot. Um, but if, if he's injured, then, yeah, Memphis – um, I don't like their schedule, just like Fish said. 
but health, if they're healthy, then, then they're the number one obstacle. Yeah, here's one other thing you got to think about. This groin strain may throw um, Damian Lillard now out of that, you know, God God mode that he's been on, right, where he's been on fire. Well, so, Drew did that. Drew did that. Drew did that. That fire's already been poured out. Right. Yeah, so. Also with Portland, <laughs> look, I mean, Nurkic is going to come back. And, you know, like I was always thinking that Portland would make a make a surge um, because they're about to get healthier in their big man rotation because Nurkic is coming back, Collins is coming back. But also, I don't think Collins is know, coming back, Kev. Knowing what Whiteside is and how his behavior is and what he can be in that locker room when Nurkic comes back and starts taking his minutes, especially if Dame is hurt, then that could create some disarray and also throw them off a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you, well, I, I mean, mean the, the other thing with it, I mean, going back to the schedule, Portland's schedule going down the stretch is like 26th more yeah, difficult. It's like, it's hard. soft. Yeah, they're, and they're, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Fish. You got no, that's not, that's it. I mean, they, <laughs> okay. it's just yeah. it's so soft that they can soft. they can that's afford soft. to lose a couple games. Um, you know, with Lillard out. out, it just depends on how long he's out. If it's if it's it a could, week or two, they could survive. But if it if it's if it ends up being something that lingers because of his the way he moves, uh, he's not. He, they need him so much in the pick and roll. If he's compromised that way and he he becomes much more of a standstill guy and he's not able to attack the basket the way he has, it really changes the way their offense runs. And you're doing a lot more going with C.J. McCollum, who doesn't run an offense particularly well. And then you're going to see a lot more Carmelo one-on-ones. All right. Let me say this. Who do you guys need me to watch? Because I was watching that that (laughs) game and Damian uh, got hurt. Then Butler got hurt in the Miami game. He did come back in. And just now Jamal Murray was, like, grabbing his neck. and I saw that. that. (laughs) Every game I watched some. Some big names. Some Lakers games. <laughs> I, am watching, I am watching the Lakers game. So Lakers and you know and yeah, tune into the Lakers and, and see what happens with them because uh, Pelicans still have a couple of games against them. So that would be nice. <laughs> and and of course we'd all love to see the ultimate fantasy here now is to get the eighth seed, have the the Lakers be the one, oh. and just and they just go fucking nuts. And I hate, you know, I'm just put it up to go fucking nuts for however many games that series goes on. Yes. Well, you know, I saw uh, today when I was at work, I looked up at the TV and ESPN was on, but the sound was off, which is the way to watch that. And um, there, was a, there was a bar underneath that said, can the Nuggets catch the Lakers? Now I would say if the Nuggets could catch the Lakers, that would be very interesting if the Pelicans could grab the eighth seed because oh, I we'll really very well that we would play them very well and have a very good chance of upsetting them in, in the first round. Whereas the Lakers, you know, you know they're going to get all the calls. They're going to get all the superstar calls, and then you're right. battling all those bigs, and that's the area where we're the weakest. So And we don't have anybody that can stop LeBron or AD, really. What? But, or AD? Look, you let Zion Wilson put some rib checks in there, boy. And I'm telling AD will be floating out by the perimeter by the end of the second quarter. Anthony Davis, and he's doing the same stuff. Like that's the whole thing is people in LA are starting to notice it. And you yep. see it, people are starting to say, I didn't realize he was this soft. I didn't uh, realize he would fade away from the basket. I didn't realize he wasn't great on the post. Well, 
We've been telling you this stuff for three years, and you thought we were assholes, and we were making it up, and now they're seeing it. And I guarantee and now you PJ Tucker's shutting him down. Yeah, <laughs> not now. He's been yeah, yeah, exactly. He has been. Right? Just like, where have you been? Just like where are you? Where have you people been? Have you thirty-four-year-old Jared you Dudley shut him down in the Washington Wizards uniform? Yeah, none of you have watched Anthony Davis play. You've seen him in All-Star games and highlights, and now you're you seeing what it's stats. like on a night-to-night basis. So, so stop it. And so I think I think if Zion gets to put put putting his muscle on him, and Derek Favors is certainly not going to make it easy when he tries to post up. Uh, you know, I think you could make it difficult for Anthony Davis, and I, you're not with the the thing with the Pelicans and the Lakers. They played him decent both times, and they did that without Zion in the first game. So I mean, I think that they could. I'm not saying they'd win the series, but I think it it would be competitive. Oh yeah, I mean, I have a much better. I have much more faith in us winning a series against Denver than against LA, but I think we would make that an interesting series regardless. All right, guys, well, let's wrap it up. It's, I think we covered a lot of ground as usual, and I think we gave the folks what they wanted to, to know about and hear about. Um, so until the next time, we got, again, the Pelicans do play Oklahoma City tomorrow at the Smoothie King Center, then go on to the All-Star break. So we'll take a little hiatus, hopefully not as long as the last time. Uh, but we will be back once the All-Star break is over. So for Kevin Barrios, for David Fisher, for Ali Cosell, I am David Grubb. This has been The Bird Calls, and let's go Cubs. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today